Would you turn your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've had wonderful music tonight, and that choir was such a blessing. Thank you, choir. God bless you. Brother Jim, for, for singing, that was just wonderful. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. <coughs> In just a little while, we will be observing the Lord's Supper. We'll keep in mind that this is the Lord's Supper. In one sense, it is called communion because it is communion with God and with one another. We come to the Lord's Supper, we come to a vertical and horizontal fellowship. And it is important for us to be certain and to examine each of us his own heart to be sure we are in fellowship with, with the Lord and with his people, with a vertical fellowship between our heart and God and a horizontal fellowship between our lives and each other. Now Paul, writing to the Corinthian Christians, that was a carnal church, Sometimes people say, well, I can't take the Lord's Supper because I'm not worthy. Well, nobody is worthy for what Jesus did for us. There's not one person here who is worthy. The song says, I am unworthy. Jacob said, I am not worthy the least of thy mercies. And Paul, in introducing the Lord's Supper to the Corinthian Christians gave an important warning for each of us to examine his own heart because of judgment. And we want to speak on that tonight. Beginning in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto judgment. And the rest will I set in order when I come. In Hebrews 9:27. The Word of God says, It is appointed unto men once to die, 
and after this, the judgment. There are actually at least seven judgments spoken of in the scripture. I just want to enumerate these and then focus in on one of the judgments. In John 12, 31, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world come. Now is the prince of the world cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now this he spoke concerning the judgment on sin for those who will believe upon Christ as Savior. Jesus took the judgment for our sins. And when he went to the cross, he paid it all. In a little while, we're going to sing that old hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. No believer in this room will ever stand judgment for his sins. Else Christ died in vain. All of our sins were put upon Jesus when he died. That's what it means to receive him as our Savior. To receive Christ means to believe that what Jesus did when he died on the cross was enough to pay for past, present, and future sins. So that when God looks at us, he does not see our sin. He sees the blood of Jesus that covers us from sin. And the big question in our lives tonight is, are you sure you're covered by the blood of Christ? Are you sure that you're under the blood, that your, judge, your sins have been judged in Christ? Sometimes when we speak of judgment, even Christians shudder in fear. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. We need to once again live in the face of the fact that had we not been saved, had we not received Christ as our Savior, every little sin, every big sin, every one of these sins would see, receive a just recompense of reward from us. We would have to pay for our own sins. But if the Bible means anything about atonement, if the Bible means anything about the death of Christ for our sins, it means that he paid it all. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus paid it all. And the big important judgment that every one of us needs to be sure of is we went to Calvary with Christ. Last Easter Sunday morning, one of our soloists sang, Were you there when they crucified the Lord? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Were you there when they laid him in the grave? Were you there when he rose up from the grave? Amen. Now the rhetorical answer to that question is yes. If you cannot say yes, then you have no part in the Lord's Supper. If you cannot say yes, then you have no part in Christ. If you cannot say yes, then you have no part in heaven. But you and I were there. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, you and I were in that prayer. And he forgave us. And when God looks at our sin, he does not hold it to our account. He charges it to Christ's account. And our sins are pardoned. That's the first judgment. Have your sins been judged at Calvary? If you're outside of Christ tonight, if you've never been saved, 
If you have rejected him and not received him as your savior, then you're under judgment and you're still in your sins. And when you die, you'll be judged according to your sins and you'll be separated from God forever and forever. The appeal tonight is to receive Christ, to open your heart to him, lest you go to that fearful judgment at the great white throne and have to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now the second judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now this is the judgment seat of Christ. It occurs out at the end of life. When we come to the end of the way, believers only will be there. And when we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord, our body back to the grave. Then when Jesus comes the second time in his glorious second coming, the sound of the trumpet, God will send his angels to gather all of those who have died in Christ. And we will be assembled before the throne of God. That will be the church assembled, the church without spot or wrinkle. And we'll be there before the Lord, and every one of us will have to stand before God. The question will not be about our sins. They're under the blood. The question there will be about our works. What did we do with what we had? What did you do with your talents? What did you do with your gifts? What did you do with your voice? Elvis Presley will be there. They call him the king. He's going to abdicate that throne for Jesus. Elvis Presley grew up in a church of God, I think, or assembly of God. In his early life, he heard the songs about Jesus. That's where he learned to sing. That's the reason all of his life he'd add some kind of hymn to his repertoire. A lot of people like to hear him sing How Great Thou Art and some of the other hymns. But Elvis Presley, if he was saved, and I don't know, I'm not saying he wasn't. But if he was saved, he'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. And he'll have to give an account for starting the sex revolution. He'll have to give an account for starting the rock and roll movement. How different it's going to be when Bev Shea gets there. And Bev Shea, who chose to sing only for the king, Amen. will still be singing, singing I go along life's way, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Now you and I will be there, and we'll have to give an account for what we did with our talents, with our gifts. What did we do while we were in the body? What did we do with what God allowed us to have? Everyone within the sound of my voice who is saved will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The question there will not be heaven or hell. That was settled at Calvary. The question there will be rewards and crowns at homecoming. I do not have time to go further in that judgment and will at another time. Suffice it to say, 
We sing onward Christian soldiers and wait to be drafted into his service. We sing sweet hour of prayer and are content with a half a minute a day. We sing there shall be showers of blessing, but do not come to church when it rains. We sing blessed be the tie that binds and let the least offense sever that tie. We sing serve the Lord with gladness and gripe about all we have to do. We sing I love to tell the story, but never seem to mention it. We sing cast thy burden on the Lord and then worry ourselves sick. We sing the whole wide world for Jesus and never invite our next door neighbor to church. We sing old day of rest and gladness and wear ourselves out traveling and cutting the grass and all the other activities on Sunday. We sing throw out the lifeline and consent ourselves, content ourselves with throwing out a fishing line. Now we're gonna have to give an account of that at the judgment seat of Christ. That's yet to come. And every believer will be there. Not to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. That's settled at Calvary. That's settled right here. For someone in this room, it may be settled tonight. If you'll come to Christ with your sins and with yourself and your need and invite him to come into your heart, he can save you tonight. But every one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the reason I was so thrilled to see that choir full tonight. It's such a blessing when I've spent these years with you to see you respond and give to God the first fruits of your gifts and your talents and put them on the altar for the Lord and say, Lord, take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. When we withhold from God that which he has given us, the gifts he has given us, and we use it some other way, we have to give an account before the judgment seat of Christ about that. Now there's a third judgment. And this is the future judgment on Israel spoken of in Ezekiel 20, 30, 37. Israel's going to have to give an account for the way they treated what God's covenant and the way God dealt with them and met with them. And over and over again, he had to accuse them of spiritual adultery because he had made a covenant with them. And I think there's a carryover in the Christian's life. God has made us a, a covenant with us. And we're going to have to give an account with what we've done with that covenant. Did we keep it or did we break it? Then in Jude 6, there's the judgment of the fallen angels. Those angels are shut up in Tartarus. They fell at the same time Lucifer rebelled against God and Satan was cast out into the heavenlies and today he is the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible says that they are bound in a special prison house named Tartarus. We don't know very much about it, but Jude 6 reminds us there's coming a judgment day for those fallen angels, and they'll have to give an account of that. Then in Matthew chapter 25, there's the judgment of the nations, when all the nations of the earth will be gathered together. And the question then will be, how did you treat God's people? What'd you do with God's people? Now, no nation has ever prospered who hurt God's people. Remember that. Nation after nation has tried it. And when they have hurt God's people, God has brought judgment. Man. Where's Babylon? Babylon went in and was an arm of judgment on Israel. But you can't do that without also having God's judgment turned on you. And Babylon mistreated the Jews. And they tore down the temple and tore down the walls and took captive the people of God Babylon will be there. 
Adolf Hitler thought he would exterminate the Jews, killed six million of them. What happened to Germany? Divided. And Adolf Hitler, he'll be one day before God, give an account for what he did. Joseph Stalin determined he was going to exterminate the church in Russia, get rid of all the people of God, killed hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands, maybe millions of people. Under the hammer and sickle of communism, more people have died in our lifetime and in this century than any century of Christian martyrdom in all the 2,000 years. People who dared to stand true for God were put in Siberia and in prison camps. I think of the man who wrote Normal Christian Life. What was his name? Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee wrote everything he ever was going to write about Jesus by the time he was 40. The communists came in and arrested him. The way they did it, they'd had these self, self-analyzations. And they didn't, uh, the communist government didn't just come in and arrest everybody. But it's like in a church like this. They would have certain spies come in. And then they would demand that we have little cellular meetings. And in those meetings, we'd have to be honest with each other. And so we'd have to accuse each other of this and that and the other and say all the ugly things we ever knew about each other. And those spies would hear it. And then they'd take that information to the government. And the government would call people from the Christian church and put them on trial for things that had been said in secret in those cellular meetings. And so it was that Watchman Nee was put on trial and found guilty. He was found guilty of teaching people about the blood of Jesus Christ, and they called that cannibalism. They put him in prison. He was never permitted to write another word about Jesus or to say another word about Jesus. And when he was 62 years old, he died in the communist prison camp. But before he died, he sent a letter out to his wife. I have learned how to contain my joy. The communists didn't understand what that meant, but his wife knew. She knew that that meant he had learned how to be joyful in Jesus, though he was not permitted to mention his name. Now I want to tell you, those communist thugs will have to appear, and they'll have to give an account of how they treated God's people. We need to pray for our president. Pray for the leaders of America, that we will not turn our backs upon the Jews or the people of God. It is an unthinkable thing that Lester Roloff would ever have to spend time in prison in America. Or that man out in Nebraska would have to go to jail for having a Christian church, Christian school in his church. Or that those Christian institutions in Texas would have to close and move to another state when all they were doing was trying to help people who were in trouble, teenagers who were discipline problems, and they were trying trying to help them. The Texas law came down on them so hard because they would not receive a license. I want to tell you, there'll be an accountability time, a judgment of the nations for how they have treated the people of God. But the judgment that I want to discuss briefly tonight is the judgment that's going on right here tonight in this room. And this is the judgment of our own selves. It is the judgment 
that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't have time tonight to talk about the judgment of the great white throne where every lost person will appear. But the judgment I want to focus in for just a few moments is the judgment that we're involved in right in this room right now. The Lord said, verse 28, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this, many, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. In other words, the Lord is telling us when you come to the Lord's Supper, this is a time to take stock. This is a time to look into our own lives, each of us, to look into his own life and see there are those incongruities, those problems, those sins, those areas of our life that are not surrendered to the Lord, and we need to give them to Jesus. In our minds and hearts tonight, anxieties, fears, grudges, heartaches, hurts, offended feelings, all of these things, we need to take them to Jesus quickly. Amen. Now only the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He looks deep into the depths of our soul. In the Sunday school class this morning, we were discussing when Jesus stooped down to write in the sand, what did he write? And someone said, well, he probably, possibly wrote the sins that were in the lives of those Pharisees and scribes. How did Jesus know what was in their hearts? He knows everything. He knows what's in our heart tonight. He knows every unconfessed sin, every unconfessed pride, every unconfessed hurt. He knows it all. He knows whether we have enmity in our heart towards someone. And I want to submit to you tonight, there's not one person in this room who has not been hurt by another. How many of you, just take a sort of a poll, how many of you ever remember a time in your life when somebody hurt you? Lift your hand and look at that. Just look, it's almost unanimous. Now, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands this time. How many of you remember hurting somebody? It's universal. And yet we hold grudges. We hold that against somebody. In our heart, maybe with our lips we say we have forgiven, but with our heart we haven't. God looks inside of us. And he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And folks, if we cannot forgive from our heart those who have hurt us, then we can't expect God to forgive us. And when we come to the Lord's table, we come to examine our own hearts and say, Lord, have I truly from my heart forgiven? Is there anybody I have something against? I ask you to forgive me for that. Amen. This is a time for us to take stock, to look into our lives. This is a time for us to think about our talents. What are we doing with them? What are we doing with our gifts that God has given us? 
What are we doing with those things that God has entrusted to us? I was over at Bob Stevenson's church and Kathy's church the other day at that funeral in Illinois. And we went out to the little town where they grew up, where Mrs. Dempster lived. Went to the church. Last Sunday they only had 21 people at that church. Bob Stevenson was saved there. Miss Stevenson was saved there. Some great people have come out of that church. And Bob, while we were there, took me over and said, I want to show you what the men of our church did. And with their own hands, they had built an addition onto that church. And he said, I want, you to show, I want to show you this. And he showed me a, a masterpiece of, of, of woodwork that he had done himself. Now, he said he showed me all the flaws in it. I didn't see any flaws. It looked perfect to me. But he showed me all the flaws. He said, here are the bricks that we laid and so on. They did it themselves. I remember in the early years of our church, how many people came and cleaned the building. We didn't have a janitor. Matter of fact, we had a squabble in the church business meeting, Lee, the night we hired a church janitor. Remember that? That's right. Because some of the folks said, well, we've always done it this other way. Let's just keep on doing it. Maybe it's a good idea. But people took turns with their own hands, mowing the grass, doing the work for the Lord. Many of the folks that are sitting in this room tonight were influenced to Christ by somebody who came to your house and knocked on the door and encouraged you to come to Christ. Somebody came to you. Now we need to take stock tonight. Where do we stand in regard to what we have to give to God as to what we're giving God? Are we giving Him our energy? Are we giving Him our strength? The strength of youth we lay at Jesus' feet today? Are we giving Him our time? Are we giving Him our talents? Are we giving Him what we are on the altar of service? Are we giving Him our money? Sacrificially, everyone in this room tonight who names the name of Christ, who is saved, we need to give beyond the tithe. The tithe is just the beginning point. We need to give gifts and offerings to the Lord. I know it's tough to live in times like these. It's tough financially. Not anybody here that doesn't have a tough time financially. You could always use more money. I had the funeral of a man the other day that was not a professing Christian. But he said that if I knew, now listen to this, not a professing Christian. He said if I knew that if I played the Kentucky lottery and could win $6 million and I knew I'd win it, he said, I'd give enough money for Glendale Baptist Church to build a new building, Lee. That's the kind of compassion and concern he had, not even a professing Christian. Now, I don't want any of you to go out and start playing the Kentucky Lottery. Amen. I think you'll lose. But I submit to you, we need to give gifts above our tithes. Our church has gone 16 years, maybe 17 years this year, without any specific 
definite plan for expansion. That's too long. If we can't find property to buy somewhere else, then we ought to just buy some more property here and build right over here. As we take stock and look into our own hearts and lives tonight as God's people, the people of God, what are we doing with what we have? Now, Scripture goes on to say, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In other words, we have come to the Lord's Supper, and, been un- and, and we have eaten and drinking unworthily, we have eaten and uh, we've drunk the cup unworthily and we brought judgment to ourselves not discerning the Lord's body. Unworthily here does not describe us. It describes the manner in which we do it and it describes the faith with which we do it. You remember that Jesus gave the disciples the commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. That little band of 11 people spread the gospel of Christ around the world before the end of that age, that first century. What are we doing about that? What are we doing about missions? About sending the gospel to the ends of the earth? From this place should sound forth the gospel unto the uttermost parts of the earth. When we have a missionary to speak, we ought to just come because we are interested in what's going on in the other parts of the world. And we want to get in on the support of those missions. I believe God would bless our church if we would determine in our hearts that we're going to give more to missions, more to world outreach, and get it done. And then he says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged by the Lord. Now that's what we need to do, judge ourselves, look into our own lives, take stock of our own lives. And everyone in this section tonight, everybody right here, and everybody right here, and the ones here on the pulpit, we need to look into our own hearts and judge ourselves so that we do not have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account there because we can change it while we're still living. There's not one person in this room tonight who can't make a difference at the judgment seat of Christ by a decision you make tonight right in this room. I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. I'm going to decide to give him my talents. I'm going to decide to forgive. I'm going to decide to not hold grudges anymore. I'm going to decide with all my heart to be sacrificial in my giving to the Lord's cause. I'm going to decide to be a Sunday school teacher, a soul winner. I'm going to do what God wants me to do so that I'll not have to one day stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what I didn't do. And we'd have to give an account for enough things. And I preach with you, to you with a, with a heart of burden. We're going to all one day stand there. I don't know whether God will have a place where he calls Glendale Church and say all of you who were part of that fellowship, you come up there together. I don't know whether he'll do that or not. Scripture doesn't specifically say. I think we'll know each other there. Amen. But we're going to have to give an account and how far better it is for us to hilariously serve the Lord here and subtract from those things that we're going to have to give an account for over there by speedily giving to God all we are, all we have right here and now. I think the same thing applies to folks who have their church membership somewhere else. 
If God is leading you to become part of this fellowship by your singing with us and praying with us and being with us and serving with us, then why not just come on and join us and be with us? One day you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. He'll say, why didn't you? You'll have to tell him why you didn't. You see, this scripture says, if we will judge ourselves and make some changes in our lifestyle right here and now, then we'll not have to be judged later. Then he also says, many of you are sick and many of you sleep. Many of the Corinthian church slept. And he's talking about dying, early deaths, because you did not take stock of your lives. I believe there are people in this audience tonight who could prolong your life if you do what God says to do, take stock of your life and make some changes right here. If you do not, there may be someone here tonight who is heading for an early funeral. God has three or four ways of dealing with a sinning Christian. Number one, he hurts his heart. If you don't listen to our heart, God sends somebody to us. If we'll not listen to that, then thirdly, God begins to openly rebuke us. And if we'll not listen to that rebuke, and that may be over a long period of time, then fourthly, God has to remove us, have an early funeral. There may be someone in this room tonight who is heading for an early funeral unless you do what God says right here at the, at the altar when we take the Lord's Supper. Unless you'll come and say, Lord, I want my life changed. I don't want to go to the judgment seat of Christ with these things in my mind and heart, with these things in my life. I want you to forgive me. Well, you say, how do you do that? You just come honest with God. Just come honest with God. If you've hurt somebody, go tell them and ask them to forgive you. Be sure to go to God and ask Him to forgive you. And then accept His pardon. Accept His pardon. Forgive yourself. And get up and get going for God. God will bless you as you do that. If there's some life changes that need to be made, decide now, I'm going to make them. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Scripture says, let him that stole, steal no more. Let him that has been filthy, be filthy no more. Just make some changes. As the Holy Spirit empowers you to do it. And God will give you the strength. What will you do about it? My time has passed up. I could preach on this subject for hours and hours. I'd like to talk about the crowns at homecoming that are that are before us if we receive Christ and trust Him and do what God wants done. But right now, here and now, as we sing, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. There could be some here tonight who say, I'm going to be a soul winner. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to win people to Jesus. I'm going to be a tither. I'll do what I can to blend my life with others in helping to build a great work for God and giving to God my tithes, His tithes, and my offerings. There's some folks here tonight who could say, by the grace of God, I'm going to forgive. I have to admit, I won't even admit it to others, but I have to admit to God that I've held a grudge in my heart, and I want to ask God to forgive me. And if we'll do that, the Lord will meet us more than halfway. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And everyone, for just a moment or two, examine his own heart. Friend, if you're here without Jesus, you've never been saved. Would you open your heart to Christ? 
Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior and my Lord. I invite you to come into my heart. Would you do that? Our Father, we thank thee for this hour tonight. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would move in our hearts and that everyone here would take stock of his own heart and life and would determine with all of his soul that he'll do what God wants. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. May we stand, please. I can hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. 125. We turn to that song, please. And the invitation is simply this. If you're here and you've heard Jesus speak to you, do what he tells you to do. While we just wait, we let God have his way with you. If you've never been saved, come to Christ tonight. If you are a Christian and there's some area of change that needs to come in your life, maybe you can settle that right where you stand. You may not need to come forward. On the other hand, maybe God is dealing with your heart and you need to come. Make a, just kneel and pray. Or make a definite commitment of your life. Maybe somebody here tonight who ought to move your letter to this church and do what God wants you to do about that. While we pray, while we wait, is there somebody that ought to come? Will you do what Jesus says while we sing this song reverently and with all of our hearts?